Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hello, my name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 349, how to use video to attract your best clients with Los Angeles-based TV and video producer and best-selling author, Steve Stockman. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Steve Stockman, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Steve Stockman is president of LA-based Custom Productions Incorporated. He's a producer, a writer, a director of over 200 commercials, web series, short films, music videos, and TV shows. Steve is also the author of the book, How to Shoot Video That Doesn't Suck, the world's best-selling book about directing and cinematography. It's used as a text worldwide in middle through graduate schools. It's available in nine languages as an audiobook and an updated edition from Workman Publishing. Uh, he blogs about video at stevestockman.com, speaks and consults on it, and tweets at Steve Stockman. Uh, Steve wrote, produced, and directed award-winning feature films. He's been a writer, director, executive producer for Comedy Central, Discovery, A&E, The Food Network. He consults for companies and brands throughout the world on a wide variety of commercial projects. 
Steve serves as a faculty member and president of the Board of Trustees of the Summer Stars Foundation, a nonprofit performing arts program for disadvantaged youth, and is past president of the board of Westside Waldorf School in Pacific Palisades, California. He's a life member of the Creative Education Foundation and on the faculty of their training institutes. Steve, <laughs> that is some resume. I am damned impressive. <laughs> you are an impressive man. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you today here at Entree Architect uh, about about video and about um, how to shoot video properly. Before we jump into that, though, I would love to know your origin story. Uh, when did you discover the passion for what you do and who and what inspired you to do what you do today? When I was five years old, <clears throat> it was a long inspiration. It's a it could be a long story, but I'll shorten it. When I was five years old, I went to uh, I, our kindergarten class went to the sixth grade production of Charlotte's Web at my elementary school, <clears throat> and um, it was the first time I'd seen a live stage show, and I just could not believe it. I was completely transported, and at pretty much that same time, I went to see Mary Poppins in the theater, and. Um, same result. I had seen movies before and had even gone to the movies, but Mary Poppins, I guess, must have been the first good movie I ever saw. Still, I think one of the top five Hollywood musicals ever made um, and a phenomenal film still holds up great if you haven't seen it in a while. Um, but those two experiences made me acutely aware of the performing arts, and I just loved it from like day one. And so kind of got involved with all the plays in school and, um, you know, speaking in public whenever I could and taking acting classes and, and all that. And did sort your, of did, it, your, did your family have uh, a background in performing arts? You no, know, my dad was an all-state trombone player and a great orator. And I think that he would have liked to have become an actor, writer, producer, um, but instead he became a doctor because that was the thing you did in your day when your depression era parents said, here's what you're going to do next, son. Yeah. And you went, okay. Um, so all of his kids became writers, which is kind of funny. Um, so, so, uh, at the same time I was doing that, I have this sort of innate interest in marketing. So I used to count the number of cuts in TV commercials and, and, uh, you know, I still look at end caps in grocery store aisles to see what manufacturers are paying who to do what. And I've always found that really interesting, which is strange to many, but um, I've always enjoyed it. It's kind of marketing as a sport, you know. Yeah, so I, do, all, I do that, too. I love yeah. I love just walking through the mall. Right. And looking at yeah. the storefronts and seeing how how the storefronts are designed and how the stores are laid out to to sell merchandise. I, I really like that. Yeah, which is why I love all the branding stuff on yeah. your on your website and that you do with architects because it's it's just I think everyone should do that, you know, and businesses would run a lot better if they did. And yeah. That's always been an interest of mine. I agree. So so yeah. as as you're growing up, you're you're discovering this passion that you have. Um, yeah, I did a lot of performance and then I got into radio uh, at the end of high school in Syracuse, New York, and then um, went to college where I spent, you know, 60 hours a week at the college radio station and worked for two other radio stations in town. 
and then uh, graduated and got a job in radio. And then I went from radio to uh, starting a, I was a national marketing director for a radio group and then started a company that did TV commercials for radio companies. So we did a lot of advertising for large radio stations back in the day when large radio stations did a lot of advertising. Um, and I wanted to do longer form stuff. I really liked commercials. I was in Boston producing and I decided that the only way I would ever do something scripted or longer than 30 seconds would be if I moved to LA. So I did that. And, uh, you know, and here about, about how old were you when you moved to LA? I was 34, I think maybe 36. So you, so you essentially grew up in radio. Did, did, yeah, I, well, I grew up in radio and then I got, uh, I got fired out of radio and started this other business. And I ran that business. I ran a production company in Boston for uh, 10 years. And then I moved the whole company to Los Angeles to kind of, because in Los Angeles, in production, your, your ceiling in Boston is Los Angeles's floor. You know, and got in Los Angeles, there's 27 crews deep of people. And in Boston, there's two. You know, and Boston was a great production town. I loved all those people and still do some of them. Um, and, um, but in Los Angeles, you know, you could work with the gaffer who just did Ridley Scott's movie, who knew way more than you did about how to produce things. And that was fun. It was like getting on, it was like getting on at a secure bottom where you knew you were gonna grow. Um, and also because everybody here was always talking about scripts and movies and stuff, I finally, got around to writing a script and getting a film produced. How did you, how did you start in LA? You go from Boston, basically, okay, I'm going to start over in LA at well, know, I, in the mid thirties. How do you get started there? Well, my business was international already when I moved it from Boston. It. So, so doing, um, TV campaigns for media companies, I was already working in Malaysia and Australia. So you weren't was, starting from scratch. You oh, just trans, you just moved the company. Yeah, I just moved everything. Yeah. You know, production is production and freelancers are freelancers. So I only had to move a few key people and then I hired some new people here. And then, uh, you know, I was fortunate that I could just move an already successful business and it just stayed successful for a fair amount of time after that. And we got into producing some stuff for, you know, Buena Vista Home Entertainment, did commercials for Disney and we did commercials for some other non-media advertisers and um, and while I was getting this feature together and doing that, and I sort of swerved from there into television. And when did it, when did you find your passion to help other people? You wrote a book about how to shoot video that doesn't suck. You're, you know, working to sort of, you're here with me now to sort of share your knowledge. Where did, where did that all start and, and how does it play into your life today? Um, I've always found teaching to be a great way to learn. Um, I'm an experiential learner, so I like to just do stuff and have it go wrong and then figure out what I did. Um, and so even when I was a kid, I liked being a camp counselor and I liked, uh, you know, I took all the courses at the uh, Red Cross swimming camp, you know, so that I could become a swimming instructor and I you know, taught a little swimming in college as a part-time job. Um, so I've always liked teaching and uh, speaking to other people and sort of 
My family will tell you it's because I like to tell other people what to do, which I guess is probably true, which is why I'm a director. But I also like to, um, I like to guide and help where I can. I like to help people solve problems. So I do, I've always been drawn to facilitation and I have a lot of facilitation training. Um, I have um, spent a lot of time trying to help companies and people kind of get on the right track just because I'm, I just like to teach. I don't know. It's a gene, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can, I can relate to that. Yes, I guess you can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, architect uh, who, you know, just, I found my passion in, you know, helping other people learn to, to do things so they can become better people. Yes. Um, and so, you know, after I directed for a long time and I, and I had a, a good friend of mine who was a big morning disc jockey in Seattle, a guy named Bob Rivers, and he and I go hiking all the time. We were hiking in Joshua Tree and um, we were talking about his website, which this must have been eight or nine years ago. And he was suddenly concerned about video content on his website. Um, and he was recording his shows and putting them up, but his producer kept calling me for advice. So we were talking a little bit about that. And he said, uh, you know, you should really tell people about how to make their video better. And at that time I had started to notice, you know, going to a cocktail party as a director was starting to be like, you know, going to a cocktail party as a doctor, except instead of saying, could you look at this boil on my neck? People would go, I've got this video. Can I send it to you? And you can tell me what I did wrong. That's funny. And so, and I'd been teaching this course. So summer stars, which you mentioned in, in my bio is a uh, camp for underprivileged kids. It's 150 kids a year uh, that we do in Western Massachusetts where they pay nothing. Um, and they come for this performing arts camp for 10 days, a residential camp. And we bust them out and we pay for the room and board and, and all the teachers. And the, the structure of the camp is it's a, um, you work intensively on a couple or three classes that are doing performance pieces for a show that's on the second to last day. And so all these kids who are between 12 and 17 who had virtually no success role models in their lives come in and all these professional performing arts people help guide them to this show that they're going to do on the second to last day in front of 500 people um, that they have to create from scratch in six days. And so it's a very intense process. And I started teaching music video and I started to realize that you could actually get people to shoot better video in a couple of hours of instruction um, just by showing them how to see things a little differently, how to think about it the way a director thinks about it. And so when Bob and I went on this hike, you know, and we got back to our hotel after after hiking all day, instead of, you know, surfing porn or whatever you normally do in a hotel room by yourself at night, <laughs> I, um, I'm, I'm just saying in general, not me particularly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I started looking around to see if anyone had written this book and no one had as yet. So I decided to do that. And so who is it? Who is the book sort of written for? It is written for anyone who wants to have a better idea of how to communicate using video. So, so all of us. Yeah. And I hate to say that because as a marketer, I know that you really want to target. And, you know, if I were telling, if you were an architect and you said to me, well, I'm an architect for everyone, I would go, yeah, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah. 
Um, let's narrow that down a little bit. But the weird thing about video is it is ubiquitous. Uh, 93% of Americans carry a pocket computer that shoots video better than Cecil B. DeMille could in 1937, you know? And uh, everybody shoots video and everybody posts video and everybody expects you to be able to shoot video now. And so the book is, you know, they use it in middle schools through graduate schools as an instruction thing. And it does seem like pretty much everybody is interested in it, but it's written for people. Like if you don't know how to do anything with video, it, it'll give you a whole bunch of good ideas and then the rest you'll probably skip. And if you are like a, an experienced photographer or say you're a wedding videographer or you're dipping your toe into video for your own business, there's a lot more there for you. Um, and even if you're a professional, I mean, when I did the audiobook, it was about a year and a half after I wrote the book because my publisher had said, why would anyone want an audiobook about video? And I went, well, I think they will. So I read it and I, and I, and I published it. And um, the, uh, I was rereading it and going, this is good. I should remember some of this, you know? <laughs> so I think even if you're, a, if you're a pro, there's one or two ideas in there for you that are worthwhile. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you need more than that in a book, more than one or two ideas. So. Yeah. So, so it sounds like it's, it's a perfect book for us architects, small firm architects who have lots of hats doing a hundred things a day, different responsibilities, different roles. Uh, and we want to use video in our marketing. I think many of us want to do that. Uh, I think with, with the, the growth of YouTube and now short form TikTok and all of these different platforms, and video on our websites is very effective, very powerful. It would be nice to, to be able to shoot some video that doesn't suck and be proud of it. And so I'd love to go through that a little bit. If, if we are, let's you know, look at a, a, a small firm architect, maybe it's a firm of four or five people. Uh, the principal is going to do this themselves. They built their own website. They, they've understood the, the fundamentals of building a, a website around your brand and you want to do a couple of good high quality videos to, to present that brand, what are some of the steps that we need to take to, to, to create some decent looking video? I think that the first thing that you need to consider is that you are not talking to customers, you're talking to an audience. And what I mean by that is that um, people choose with a touch of their finger on a screen, what they're going to watch. And they choose fast. You know, it used to be that you could, um, when we were in radio, you know, we'd look at people's behavior with radio buttons. And the truth is that people decided whether they wanted to be listening to a particular song in approximately two and a half seconds. If it didn't catch them, they were gone. And in video, the same thing is true. You know, it used to be that we were super excited to see our faces on the video in a store display window, you know, when that camera was pointing at you and you walked toward it, it was a huge novelty. And now it's like, well, what else is on? So if you're not presenting something that is entertaining, which I'll, I'll talk about what I mean by entertaining in a minute, um, no one is going to watch it. And if no one is going to watch it, you might as well not have done it. So video exists, as Neil Postman once said, uh, a philosopher who wrote a great book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, which you should read, but I won't talk about it in depth here because I could take a whole podcast. 
Um, but he said that television exists to be watched, and that is its prime directive. So if it isn't watched, it can't do anything else. And that's true of your video as well. So you need to think about you need, and frame all of the video that you're going to do in terms of who is going to watch it and what are they going to get out of it from their point of view? And how are they going to be entertained? And what I mean by entertained is not that condescending, oh, I have to pander to people. Oh, I have to put in jokes that are uncomfortable. Oh, I have to you know, show a car crash or there has to be action or, or any of that stuff. To be entertained is to be rewarded for the time and attention that you give to something. So the transaction, you know, has been pretty much the same since cavemen told the first mastodon jokes, you know, in front of the fire um, back in the 200,000 BCs, right? It's, it's if I'm going to listen to you and pay attention, it better be good. And that's true with your architect video as well. So I would say the first thing is to think of yourself as an entertainment business. You never want to put yourself in the position of creating something that you don't find interesting or that doesn't take you on an emotional ride or doesn't solve your problems or doesn't give you a feeling of the experience that you want them to experience just because you think you're supposed to. Right. So start with the audience in mind, I guess would be the first. Yeah. Okay. So understand who you're dealing with and, and what you want to accomplish with the video. What do you, what do you want them to get out of it? Yeah. 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 What's your intent? You know, not, not what's your result. Your result would be more customers. You know, you want that, but your intent is more like, I want to show people my method for understanding them well enough to build their house. I want to make people feel comfortable uh, with an architect who challenges them. Um, I want people to feel like I really listen. Um, I want people to understand that I will help them through the process and not uh, make them feel lost or like they're idiots and don't know what they're doing. You know, it, whatever your communication goal is. Is, is it also an opportunity to sort of weed out the the tire kickers, the weed out the people that you don't want to work for? Is that is that in this question or is that come later? Like if my if my goal is to attract the right audience, is that what we're talking about here or is that something else? No, I think it I think how you set your goal is going to be up to you. But in in Architecture is a, is a portfolio art, right? So there are only two things that you really have to, to communicate to people. One is the work that you've done so that they can go, yes, I like that work or no, I don't like that work. And so I'm probably not going to get what I want from working with you. And you can show them how you did it. So the how, the process is that thing that they're gonna get married to you for a length of time for, right? And right. if you present yourself honestly and in a way that shows what you believe is your brand, what benefits your audience to be paying attention to you, if you show that honestly, weeding in and weeding out is kind of the same thing. The people who, if you've, if you've presented yourself the way your ideal customers see you, 
then other people who are like those ideal customers will come running. And the people who honestly don't like the way you present yourself to your ideal customers, that is your non-ideal customers, will hopefully fall off early. Right. And the, but, the, perfect, but, but the the key in what you just said is that you need to understand who that ideal customer is, right? You need to do yes. that work prior to this whole video venture. So you need to understand who you're, like you said at the very beginning, who is your audience, um, audience, not customers. So who is that audience? If, if that audience is your ideal customer or your ideal client, you need very clearly to understand who that person is so you can do the rest of the work. So that's an important first step. Yeah, I'd say the, the corollary to who are they, which is really important, is why do they think you're the best architect they've ever worked with? Because, you know, we do this in, in when we teach actors what's good about them. One way to do that is to have them talk to a group of other actors, then have the other actors tell them what they heard and saw and the moments where they were most intrigued and most excited to watch whatever they were doing on stage. And the reason that we do that is because the translation out of our heads into someone else's heads is not an easy translation. You have to know what is important to your customers about you from their point of view. So, so part of the game in developing a brand for any product, but especially a product as personal as architecture and that process of working with someone over a long period of time is honestly knowing why they love you. The, 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 the customers you've had the best experience with, who you're still friends with at the end of the project, who can't wait to recommend you to other people, who are so excited about the new thing that you built for them. Who are those people? And why would they say they loved working with you? You know, and actually hearing that allows you to communicate it back to other people. Right, right. Because you, the message that you present, you want that to resonate with your ideal client. You want it to, to feel good. You want it to sound good. You want them to feel like they have found their home with yeah. you and your firm. And, and so you, you want it to be true. Yeah. So that you can deliver on it. Right. And right. So that the people who are less than ideal for you realize that early and perhaps go elsewhere. And the people who are ideal for you go, oh my God, I'm so glad I found you. Right. And sign up. And then they become great customers. Right. So a lot of what you're talking about is that they need to they need to do some of their branding work. They they need to understand who their brand, what their brand is. What are the things that people say about them when they're not in the room? All the things that we teach at the Build Your Brand, at the Build Your Brand uh, uh, workshop, Build Your Brand podcast, that's what we're talking about, right? Finding your ideal client uh, and how do you communicate and resonate with that ideal client in a really clear, concise way. Steve's talking about the same thing. So you need to do that work up front. So now you're going to be able to uh, develop a video for that ideal client. So you need to understand yes. who that is. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAT and Monograph. RCAT.com has been assisting architecture professionals in their search for the best products for their projects for nearly 30 years. Starting as a printed desktop reference with listings in manufacturers catalogs, RCAT has evolved into the number one most used website for finding building product information. 
Today, RCAT is an invaluable tool for AEC professionals, offering a powerful product search engine that's backed up by up-to-date CAD, BIM, and specifications. And just as it was in 1991, today, RCAT offers all of this at no cost to their users and without requiring any registration. It's free. Visit entrearchitect.com slash RCAT today and see why architecture professionals have leveraged the power of RCAT for three decades. entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. That's entrearchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T. Spreadsheets. Spreadsheets. Are you tired of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time? Our friends at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with. So they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium-sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monograph's integrated suite of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph. Try it for free at entrearchitect.com slash monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com slash monograph and try Monograph right now for free. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entre Architect community. So, so once we understand that, we understand who, who that person is, we know what they, we want uh, uh, that ideal client to get out of what, we're, what we're, our goal is with this video, uh, what's the next step after we sort of understand those pieces? Well, once we have our, our main idea, our message, um, whether it's uh, I will support you through a process that you will enjoy or, um, or, or something, whatever okay. you've decided your let's brand say it's, message Let's is. say it's that. Okay. That, that some, when you have something that you understand from your customer's point of view, um, the question that you need to answer next is, okay, what kind of content am I going to put up that will get that point across? So video can do two things uh, well. It can communicate story uh, and it can communicate emotion, right? It doesn't do facts well at all. If you have, if you, if your pitch to your customers is all fact-based and here are my statistics and here are here here's the kind of style of architecture i like in excruciating detail and here are here's my bio and here's all that if that's what you want to convey to your customers you should think about whether a video is what you want to do a video is for creating a microcosm of your experience is maybe the simplest way to think about it so once you've got your objective like I want to show you that my process is supportive and will you'll enjoy going through this with me and get what you want out of the other end. If that's your message, then your video's goal is to make the people who are watching understand a story of that and or feel the experience of it. So what are the emotions of it, right? So what is it like to walk into your brand new house at the end? What is it like to 
go through this process? What was it like when you and the architect disagreed? What was it like when the architect showed you a different way to do things that you hadn't thought of? What was it like when you came up with a great idea and the architect got super excited about it and incorporated it into a new room in your new house? You know, so, so those experiences all become valuable. And then your question is, what creative can you do around it, right? So, so I would say first, one is, if you, if you know this brand, this one sentence of what you want to get across to people, your first question is, is there a story here? And, um, and we should talk about story for just a second because it's the yeah. most important thing you can ever know about video. Okay. Um, and story, people have written books and books and books and books, but let's go back to Aristotle for a second and go for the simplest possible definition of story. Story is a beginning, a middle, and an end about a hero who wants something, goes through a process in the middle, and then either gets it or doesn't at the end. Okay, so um, Luke Skywalker desperately wants adventure in his life. At the beginning, he's stuck on this planet. In the middle, he goes on a huge journey to other planets and gets involved with this rebel alliance. And in the end, he destroys the Death Star, gets the adventure that he wanted, and becomes the hero that he always dreamed inside he would be. So that's a story, okay? Another story is, these people came to me to build a house, and they wanted something that was warm and cozy, but had enough space for their whole family. Then we went through this process, and we met, and we argued, and we did drawings, and we did models, and we took them to the contractor, and we found the best one. And then we went through the building process, and I helped make sure that they got it. And now here they are walking into it at the end of the end, right? Yep. So that's a story, right? right. Um, in that version, the hero is probably the architect, right? But you can also do a version where the hero is the customers. And they're telling you their story of we looked all over the place for architects and we found um, Mark LePage and we sat down with Mark and we went through this whole process. And then Mark helped us find a builder. And then we went through the building process and Mark watched it for us. And then at the end, we got the new house that we wanted and we still, and we actually had a housewarming party like no one ever does. And we invited Mark, right? So that's a story, the same story told where the customers are the heroes. Right. And the so, architect is the guide through that process. Yeah, the guide. Yeah. So, so you have your choice of, you can tell a story about your architecture or you can work on something a little less story-based or with an even simpler story that says, you know, here's the experience as we went through it. Here's, here's what it felt like. And the, it's important to decide what your story is in general or have a good idea of your story before you decide what the video is going to look like. Yeah. So, so um, what are some other stories architects might want to tell about their work that their customers would respond to? Well, I think that there's, there's um, fears, right? Clients mm -hmm. often have fears, and so it's going to cost too much money or it's going to take too much time, and you'll never hit my budget. You'll never hit my deadline. It always costs right. twice as much as they say it's going to cost. All of those fears 
Oh, uh, so those are all separate stories, right? Yeah. We only had X dollars and we came to Mark and he figured out how we could only fix part of the house, but fix it really well that it made the whole rest of the house look like new and, and look what we ended up with. Yeah, that's a great story, sure. Um, those are all good stories, but it's important to pick the ones that your ideal customers love. Or in fact, it's great to pick the ones that your ideal customers tell, right? Um, once you have a story and you kind of know what experiences or what angle you want to show for your architecture firm, the, the next thing is how are you going to do that? How are you going to make it? Um, and this is where the practicalities of, of the Hippocratic Oath come into play, which is first do no harm, right? So you want to make sure as an architect who's busy doing everything you could possibly be doing for your small firm, that you aren't going to try to do something and suck so bad at it that you're going to put it up on your website and it will actually not work for your ideal customers. Um, and the keeping it as simple as you can and as, as clear as you can and as short as you can are kind of the keys to all that. Um, so if I were an architect, I think the first thing I would look at is the idea of interviewing and talking with my ideal customers about the work that I've done for them and what they liked about it and where it was a struggle and how it came out and how they thought about it. And I might start there with two or three of my best customers, shooting them in a nice environment and getting their point of view on it and take them through it chronologically so that they could say, at the beginning, we did this, and in the middle, this happened. And at the end, we had this. Because you could, in its most simple form, you could do a single customer talking about their experience with you and intercut that with shots of the finished project that would tell a story of, that could emphasize whatever part of the story you wanted to tell. So if budget was the most important thing, it could emphasize how much money you saved them. If holding hands through the process and feeling really great about the creative difficulties that we inevitably encounter and how we solve them was it, then they could tell the story about the big disagreement you had and how it resolved in something that was fantastic and beyond what they ever would have expected. Um, if, if it's about how they trusted the architect to do the work and didn't really want to get too involved in the process and were surprised at how simple Mark made it, that could be the story of, you know, it's all, that's where it's up to you. Right. But, but that's the simplest way, like, like structure 101, chronological beginning, middle, end of a story with a customer. Yeah. And if you do it with multiple customers, then you can sort of mix and match telling the same story, but from different points of view. Yes. Or you could do multiple short pieces, yeah. you know, because you want them to be short and you want them to be, um compelling right so so the trick of the trick of doing this kind of work is to have a conversation you know um to have a real open thing go on so that you can pull out the the emotions of the the customers there's nobody who doesn't feel something about their architecture project you know from even the the coldest, wealthiest business person building an office building to 
a residential home, everybody has a feeling about what they're doing. They're all trying to, they're building it for a reason, you know, hopefully. And, and they, have, they have their own intent and their own desires and emotions around what they're investing their time and money in. And, you know, if you can find, if you or you can find someone who can pull that out in an interview, get them to really express themselves, then, you know, bang, your creative is done and go, you know. One of the things I'm noticing, Steve, as you talk about the process of putting together uh, a, a video um, that doesn't <laughs> suck is that you're not talking about equipment at all. You're not talking about software. You're not talking about hardware. You're talking about all the pieces that make good storytelling and how you put that video together. Does the equipment matter? Does it matter what equipment we're using? Well, the reason that as a director that I don't talk about equipment is because directors know nothing about equipment. <laughs> uh, that's not exactly true. I mean, some directors know something about some equipment and I certainly know a little bit about equipment, but we have people for that. Right. But the, but the beauty part of having people for that and being a director is that you focus on the point and the message and the communication and making it really sing for people. Right. So think of it this way. If, if I were doing your video, I would call some camera people and say, what do you think we should do this with? And they would go, uh, you know, I own a, C300. How about that? And I would go, great. And they'd bring it. And since I trust them, they would set it up and it would all be beautiful. And I would look at the lighting and I would point and go move that over there, which is why you always see pictures of directors pointing. And, um, and, and we'd be done. The truth is that people shoot feature films on iPhones. Your iPhone will do 4K video and it will look amazing. And you can get microphones that you can hook up to, you know, that can feed audio to your iPhone or feed it to a separate recording device that you can marry in your edit room to the picture from your iPhone. And it can sound phenomenal. And as we now know from being stuck in our houses for a year uh, doing Zoom calls, it doesn't take a whole lot of lighting with this modern video equipment to make your lighting look good. So equipment is, not important uh, above a certain level. Right, right, right. It needs to be high quality, right? So, so you said we can use our iPhone, but the iPhone, because it's a high quality camera, you can use it. You, you, you want to have a good microphone so the audio is good. The lighting is important, so the lighting that you you select is important and and is good. Um, mm -hmm. And so the the equipment matters. But it doesn't matter as long as it's a high quality, right. and it, can, it can meet the yeah. level of the video quality that you're looking for, then it doesn't matter what camera it is or what lighting it is or what microphone it is, as long as it's, yes. can it meet the standard that you're expecting to? Yeah, as long as you get over the, the, the hump of decent quality HD video, no one cares. Right. You know, you, you, if, you, if you're good at making a film, you can make it on your phone. So, so the key things to, being good at making a film are, what does the picture look like? And that we care a lot about, you know, is, is it technically up to snuff? Is it well lit? Is it close enough that you can see the whites of people's eyes so that you can see their expressions and their emotions? Um, you know, these are all things that, um, 
that your camera person, if it isn't you, can think about, or your interviewer, if it isn't you, can think about. You know, um, I, I think that I would be much more concerned if I had a small architecture firm about who is behind the camera than what camera they're behind, right? So if you have a great eye for that, and many architects do, you know, many architects photograph and, and just have a visual eye, then you can certainly be behind the camera. Um, if you were doing a testimonial thing like we were just talking about, you would also want a really good interviewer who can has some experience and can do some good conversing and, and really pull experiences and emotions out of people uh, to be behind the camera, you know? And, um, and then you want a good editor at the other end, but it doesn't really matter what they're editing with. There's, you know, three major professional programs out there. They, they all do the same thing, you know? Right. And so, and so if we were going to use the camera ourselves, if we were going to be the ones, our small firm architects, or, or we have our iPhone 10, right? It's got a great camera. Um, and we're going to shoot it ourselves. Is there anything that we should, and we have a good eye, you know, we sort of, when we take pictures, they look good, take videos, they generally look pretty good. Are there any things that we should like be really focused on uh, in terms of technique when we're using that camera? And I'm not sure if there's an answer. Yeah, so, so, so if you're doing it yourself, if you're doing any piece of uh, video yourself, I think you want to first find models online of what you really like and then learn why you really like it. it. So for example, um, in today's universe, you will rarely see a shot that lasts longer than five or six seconds on television, in a movie, or in a video. And the reason for that is that we process visual information. We use about 75% of our brain to process visual information. You know, that whole frontal cortex thing is, is busy looking out for uh, wildebeests that we can hunt or lions who are going to eat us or people that are angry at us or can help us or where's the food, you know, where's the village, you know, where are my kids, all that stuff. It's all visual processing. That's what we're built for. When we've acquired all the information available to us in a particular line of sight, we get edgy if we can't change our line of sight. So if you've ever watched a video where it's a person talking in front of a whiteboard, you will find that the back of your neck starts to itch after about three minutes. And that's because your evolutionary processes are all going, you're stuck in a box. What if there's somebody behind you? right? And you're just getting crazy. And that's why on screen, we will constantly switch shots, even inside of one scene, because it's going to give you new information in every shot. So, so if you're doing your own video, you have to be prepared to think about how you're going to cut that video so that you're adding information continually to what people are seeing. So you're gonna to have to think in shots. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I would think about is, again, going back to first principles of first do no harm, is that even if you're skilled with a still camera, and even if you're an architect with a good visual eye, it doesn't mean that you're gonna be particularly good at shooting video at first. 
It probably means that if you approach it the way you approached learning any of your arts um, by trial and error and practice, you could become good. Uh, and if you really enjoy it, you will become good. But you should not assume that you are good the first time you do it. You should, in fact, assume that maybe you're not that good. So there's two ways to deal with that. One is to keep it extremely simple. And so extremely simple is, uh, you know, extremely complicated would be you hire four actors, you write a script, you produce something about architecture that has a whole bunch of really funny jokes and shows off all your buildings and uh, ends with you uh, doing a straight to camera pitch for your services, telling them to call the 800 number and makes fun of the lawyers. I don't know, making that up. Yeah. If you, you have the skills to pull that off, hallelujah, right? If you don't, you want to think about if I shoot some testimonials with my clients, what do I need to ask them? What's the frame going to look like? Can I set up two cameras so that I can cut between them later? How am I going to shoot their house so that it looks beautiful? If I'm a great still photographer and I have an idea of what looks great about the house I built, which you do because you're an architect. Um, the easiest way is just to treat your camera like a still camera. And even though it's video, just don't move it. Just turn it on, shoot for 10 or 15 seconds, move to another, another shot. And keep what you're doing to the level at which you can succeed. Like it's brilliant if you, as, an, as a human, go out and go way over your head and try things and, and shoot stuff that you know isn't going to be good and then play with it and experiment and all that. That is an excellent thing to do. Subjecting other people to that work is not an excellent thing to do. So, so it's not gonna help your business to put up video that, that blows basically, but it is gonna help you to do video that blows as you get better. Does it make sense? Yeah, sure. So, so do practice on your own and, and yeah. hide, hide it on your, on your, your role in your in your phone, yeah. and uh, and make sure the stuff that you're sharing is good, high quality video. And and if you can't do it, find somebody else who can help you do that, so that the level of quality is where it should be to represent your brand. Yes. So so I know, having sold a house recently, that every major market has a bunch of people in it who shoot real estate video for a living and charge $1,000 to $2,500 to shoot beautiful shots of a house and then edit them together. And I'm sure all of those people would be thrilled to help you shoot a great video that edits together testimonials and shots of the finished project uh, to great result over 90 seconds worth of running time uh, for, you know, $2,500 or, or some other deal if you can recommend them elsewhere or whatever. Right. I'm right. sure that almost every major market has film schools or colleges where kids are looking for projects where for $500, someone who knows more about video than you, but a whole lot less about architecture than you do will collaborate with you on a piece because they want the money and they want the experience and they'll bring the equipment and they'll do the sound recording. You know, um, I'm also sure that if you ask around, you can find friends who are hobbyists who do it. So you don't need to do all this yourself and you also don't need to spend a lot of money to do it. 
but you do need to be very tough about whether it's any good. Um, not self-doubt tough, but testing it tough. So you have to actually make your spouse watch it. Um, you have to make a friend watch it. And you have, to, you have to watch it yourself and you have to go, am I bored? Am I buying this? And if you're not, the hardest thing to do in, in entertainment of any kind is to go, no, that, that's not good enough. We can't have that. Right. Scrap it. Do it again. Yeah, scrap it and start it over. But, but you should be prepared to do that because why should your first few videos be any better than my first few videos or Steven Spielberg's first few videos? Yeah. You know, they're not. They're, they're, just, they're just not. Yeah, it's, and it's a creative process. It's like designing architecture. <laughs> I mean, look at the work that you did when you first started designing architecture. It's not what you design today. Uh, and even when you design the project you're designing today, those first schemes are not as good as the final scheme that you've come up with. It's a creative process. Um, yes. So Steve, is there anything else that we should hit before we wrap things up? Uh, no, I think, I think that, I think what you just said though is, is worth amplifying slightly, which is that it's an art and it's a different art form than you're in. And it requires acquisition of craft, much like what you do. So you didn't handle the pencil well your first day in architecture school. You're not going to handle the camera well on your first day shooting a video. I encourage you to still do it. Um, if you go to my website or look at the book, there's tons of instruction on it. That's what it's for. But if you're in a hurry or you need something now for your website that you're redoing for October, you know, there are people who can help you and they don't have to be expensive, you know, and you, you can, because you're already experienced in doing art and working with people who know less about your art than you do, you should be able to take uh, a skilled junior in at a good arts college near you who likes to shoot video and help them help you design a 90 second video that will kill for your architecture firm for hundreds, not thousands of dollars. Yeah. And so I would, I would look at that seriously early if you're in a hurry, or if you really want to get good at it, just understand that you're going to have to practice a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you get good at it working with others as well, because you'll learn what you need to learn. You'll learn the things you don't know. Uh, they'll be able to teach you, you know, how to do it. So it, it's Absolutely. worth working with somebody who knows what they're doing up front. And then even if you want to do it yourself, as you continue to develop new videos, you can start doing more and more of it your, yourself. Yeah. So, Steve, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think you should dive into video. I think that it's an extremely effective way to get across the benefits of the process that you bring to other people. Um, I, I've built a house with an architect. I've shopped for architects. I can tell you that if I had seen really good videos about architects back then, uh, it would have saved me a lot of time because I would, I would be able to see their work and something about how their clients see them early. And that was work that I, we actually did that work. You know, we visited other clients and we visited the houses and we love our architect um, to this day. Um, but it would have been easier 
kind of going through the finding for people to talk to in person process. And, and I think that your potential clients expect that from you. And I think you should deliver it to them because it's a very effective way to help funnel in the right people who are going to become your ideal customers going forward. His name is Steve Stockman. You can learn more about Steve at his website, stevestockman.com. We will have a link to that website on the show notes. His book, How to Shoot Video That Doesn't Suck, you can find it everywhere that books are sold. We'll have a link to that as well uh, on the show notes. Steve, this has been a very interesting conversation, something that I think a lot of architects uh, will find very valuable because I think that, like you said, it is a piece uh, it, of our branding, of our marketing that we should all be using, especially in this time uh, where we have easy, pretty easy access to the equipment and the talent to create uh, high quality videos and tell stories in a very effective way. So thanks for coming on. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for joining us and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. It was a lot of fun. You have been listening to episode 349 of the Entree Architect podcast. If you would like to access the show notes for this episode with all the links to Steve and all the things he's doing, that link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 349 has all the links that Steve and I discussed. And that coincidentally is also the link to share with a friend, entrearchitect.com slash episode 349. We ask you to do one task each week. We'll take care of the rest. Share that link with a friend. Drop it in an email. Send it on Twitter, Facebook, social media, anywhere that you are on social media. Send that link to a friend. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 349. And we thank you very much for helping to grow Entree Architect and our Entree Architect community. That's how we do it. One week at a time. One architect listener at a time. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 349. Go share that link right now. Entree Architect is a proud member of the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet. Gable Media, curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources. They're all there. Live monthly training. Yep, it's there too. And a supportive Entree Architect community. It's there for you. It's all waiting for you at Entree Architect Academy membership. In fact, Steve Stockman's going to be joining us, joining us on Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020, as our monthly expert trainer where he will be teaching a practical guide for telling your story through video as a small firm architect. So if you liked this episode, you're going to love that. He's going to dive much deeper into video and how to tell your story through video. He'll provide a 35, 40 minute uh, training session, live training session. And then we'll have a live Q and A at the end, 15, 20 minutes of live Q and A at the end. So if you liked this episode, don't miss that live training webinar. It's on the first Wednesday of December. It's on the first Wednesday of every month is our Entree Architect Expert Training Sessions. They're Zoom webinars. So if you are not yet a member, what are you waiting for? Learn more and enroll all about Entree Architect membership at entrearchitect.com slash join. And it's currently free, free for 30 days. So what are you waiting for? You can join us right now. Attend this, this training session with Steve for free 
And if you like what you see, just stick around for more and we'll do it again next month. If you don't like it, you don't think it's worth the subscription, simple. Just cancel your membership and there's no cost. So I hope to see you there. Join us at Entree Architect membership right now at entrearchitect.com slash join. So be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. I wish that for you. Thanks for listening today and every week at Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. 
gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.